1: episode of Kids Say the Darndest Things, one grammar school youth explained what his father did for a living. He said, my dad's a cop. He catches crooks and burglars and puts cuffs on them and takes them down to the station and puts them in the slammer. The host replied, wow, I bet your mother gets worried about his work, doesn't she? The youth assured him, oh no, he brings her lots of watches and rings and jewelry. In another episode, the host told a young boy, Now let me give you a situation. You're the pilot of a commercial airliner, and you've got 250 passengers aboard. And you're flying to Hawaii, you're out over the ocean, and all four engines go out. What would you do? The boy thought for a moment, and then he said, I would press the fasten your seatbelt button, and then grab my parachute and jump out. The old expression... Out of the mouth of babes comes to mind with these two examples. And that expression actually originates from Scripture. Paul teaches about babes in Christ in 1 Corinthians 3. And he challenges the church to not remain as a child in the faith, but to grow and mature in Christ and in His grace. 1 Corinthians 3, 1-2 read, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. When we trust Christ as our personal Savior, we experience regeneration or new birth. We are born again. At that point, we are a babe in Christ. Paul addressed the Corinthians here as brethren. Having been born again, they were part of the family of God, and they were brothers in Christ. The Corinthians had come through the door of faith in Christ and were saved eternally, but the issue was that they had progressed no farther. The Corinthians were failing to grow in Christ, and this grieved the heart of Paul. He longed for that joy of watching babes in Christ whom he had led to the Lord, Grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, as Ephesians 4.15 says. Paul observes here that when he first visited Corinth during the 18 months that he originally ministered among them, he could not speak unto them as spiritual men. In the context of chapter 2, a few verses earlier, Paul compared the natural man with the spiritual man. And Paul stated that the natural man, which is the unsaved man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Whereas, as Paul wrote, But he that is spiritual judgeth, or discerneth, all things. The spiritual saved man, unlike the natural man, is able to know, understand, spiritually discern, and apply what the Spirit reveals in His Word. The spiritual man is one who not only possesses the Holy Spirit, but also walks in the Spirit. The spiritual man is sensitive to and guided by their spirit, and the, guided by the spiritual, and by the Holy Spirit, rather than their flesh or their soul. But when Paul ministered among the Corinthians in the past, he says he could not speak unto them as unto spiritual, or as a spiritual man, but as unto carnal. The word carnal means fleshly, or being under the control of the flesh. So Paul first gave a comparison between the natural unsaved man and the spiritual saved man. And then here in verse 1, he makes a further comparison between believers, showing that there are spiritual believers and there are carnal believers. The natural unsaved man in chapter 2 is one who receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Here in chapter 3, Paul teaches that the carnal believer is also one who receives not the things of the Spirit of God, too. However, the carnal believer does that by choice, because they could receive, they could know God's Word and grow in it. The spiritual believer, on the other hand, is one who has made the choice to live by the Holy Spirit according to the spiritual part of their being. They are those who walk still imperfectly, but "...in the enablement of the Holy Spirit by the truth of His Word." The carnal believer is one who lives by the flesh and their soul, whose thinking and actions are rooted in the flesh rather than in the spirit. They are heavily influenced by their emotions and self-will, and the fleshly habits and desires of the old nature. Paul told them that although they were no longer the natural man or unsaved, they were not spiritual and he could not teach or speak unto them in this manner. They had the Holy Spirit, but they were not spiritual people. Paul had taught them according to them being carnal, fleshly, new believers, even as unto babes in Christ. Their carnality, he shows, was indicative of their spiritual immaturity." Real babies and babes in Christ have very similar characteristics. Babies are dependent and unable to feed themselves. They often get into trouble and they make messes. They need to be watched closely and they demand a lot of time and attention. They have no control and no concern for others. They fuss, they cry, and they want their way. These are all natural things that are typical and expected of babies. But when believers, like the Corinthians, who were no longer new to the faith, continued to exhibit characteristics like this, something was wrong, and it was time for them to grow up. A babe or an infant is also one who has no strength and needs the assistance of their parents. Although they had the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Corinthian believers had not tapped into the power that was dwelling in them by grace. Paul reminded them later in this letter What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In the past, because the Corinthians were newborn babes in Christ after their regeneration, Paul wrote, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. The Word of God is our spiritual food. God's Word is called milk, bread, meat, and honey in the Bible. We receive spiritual nourishment through taking in God's Word by reading it, studying it, and hearing it taught. As needed as it is for us to have physical nourishment, to live and grow, we need spiritual nourishment through the regular intake of God's Word in order to live and to grow. Like newborns, babes in Christ begin with milk. The milk of the Word is the first principles of the oracles of God, as Hebrews 5.12 explains, or the elementary things of God's Word, the more easily digestible elementary truths of doctrine, the ABCs, you could say, of the faith. Just like we don't expect a baby to eat a steak Babes in Christ cannot be expected to digest the meatier doctrines of the faith right away. So when Paul first visited Corinth, he'd rightly fed the believers, and the new believers, with the elementary milk of the word because they were young and weak in the faith. This was normal and proper in the course of ministering to new believers who at first do grow on the milk of the word. The teaching which had been given to them by Paul at that time was suitable to their spiritual condition, because at that point the Corinthians were not yet able to bear or consume the meat of the Word, or solid food, or the deeper spiritual instruction of God's Word. As newborns grow, however, they need solid food, and so it should be with babes in Christ that they should grow and then begin taking in the meat of the Word and be able to receive the deep things of God and develop their Christian lives to be more spiritual. As John Stott said, the great privilege of the child of God is a relationship with Christ. His great responsibility is growth. Our Heavenly Father's purpose is that babes in Christ should become mature in Christ. Our birth must be followed by growth. The problem was, it was now three to four years later since Paul had ministered among the church in Corinth, and Paul wrote, Neither yet now are ye able to take in the meat of the word. The writer of Hebrews stated that, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. It grieved the heart of their spiritual father in the faith, Paul, that the Corinthians were still carnal and still babes in Christ who were still on a spiritual milk diet. He longed for them to grow in Christ, to mature into strong spiritual saints because that's what was best for them, and that's what would bring the greatest joy and blessing to their lives. God calls each believer to grow and mature in Christ. And it is when we spend time with the Scriptures, which are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God then is made perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And our spiritual growth is something where we should never think that we've arrived. When Pablo Casals reached 95, a young reporter threw him a question. Mr. Casals, you are 95 and the greatest cellist that ever lived. Why do you still practice six hours a day? And Mr. Casals answered, because I think I'm making progress. And so too, the believer should never stop growing and making progress in Christ and in His Word. The desire to continue to grow is a sign of spiritual maturity because we will never reach an end to growing in our understanding of God's Word. We will never come to an end in growing in Christ's likeness, which is the goal of our growth and None of us will ever fully reach that goal. 1 Corinthians 3, 3-4 to read, For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Paul points out here that the Corinthians were carnal when he was with them three to four years before, and they were still carnal after all that time. And by their carnality, it showed Paul that they had not grown spiritually, that they were still babes in Christ who needed the milk of the word. The reason Paul did not feel he should and could give them meat or more advanced instruction was that their flesh still dominated them. They were still carnal. The evidence of their carnality was three things, envying, strife, and divisions. In Galatians 5, 19-20, Paul pointed out that the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, which is the same Greek word translated as envying, wrath, strife, seditions, which is the same Greek word translated as divisions, These deeds of the flesh indicated that they were not walking in the spirit as mature spiritual believers, but were instead walking according to the desires of the flesh. The Corinthians possessed the indwelling spirit, but they were failing to let him possess them and to give them the strength to live a godly life. These evidences of carnality are rooted in selfishness and thus shows that they are fleshly. The word envying refers to an envious and contentious rivalry. The root word for envying means to be hot, to boil, showing that there is heat and zeal behind this kind of jealousy and rivalry. It's a word that makes me think of sports rivalries, like Alabama versus Auburn, or Packers versus Bears, or Yankees versus Red Sox, or Lakers versus Celtics. And there's definitely some heat behind these rivalries. This kind of heated, emotional rivalry was taking place in the church at Corinth. And it, in turn, led to strife. The word strife referred to contention and quarreling. They were having heated debates and arguments as a result. And then the envying and the strife in turn led to divisions, or disunion and dissension. They were split into separate parties, and those groups were embittered toward the other groups within the church. And Paul pointed out that, are you not carnal and walk as men? Or doesn't this prove that you are living by your flesh apart from the will of the Spirit? Are you not living as unsaved men in the world and you're lacking spiritual discernment? This is a rhetorical question by the apostle. The answer was an obvious one. Believers have a higher calling than living according to their flesh and living like the rest of humanity. The Corinthians' conduct, however, indicated their carnality, not lack of eternal life. They were saved people by the grace of God. And when we read about the Corinthians and then we look at the church today, we find similarities. Prolonged immaturity in the faith, those who can only be fed the milk of the word, envy, strife, and divisions as a result of carnality. All of these things are very prevalent. And then Paul wrote about what they were zealously arguing about and what led to their divisions. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Apollos was an eloquent preacher who was from Alexandria, Egypt. Later he traveled to Ephesus in Asia Minor, where Paul's co-workers Aquila and Priscilla helped him to understand the way of God more perfectly, according to God's program of grace with the nations today. From Ephesus, Apollos went to Corinth. The saints in Ephesus sent a letter of commendation of Apollos to the Corinthians, and Acts 18.27 says of Apollos' ministry in Corinth, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. Many in Corinth appreciated Apollos' ministry in the Word, but others still appreciated Paul's ministry more in establishing their church and teaching them the truth. And the Corinthians then became divided over Paul and Apollos. And some boasted that they were followers of Paul, and others that they followed Apollos. They were lifting up human leaders and favoring one teacher over another. There was a Paul party and an Apollos alliance, And regarding these factions that had formed, Paul asked again, Are ye not carnal? Or doesn't this prove that ye are living in carnality and by the flesh? But as the Corinthians did, we still find members of the body of Christ championing one spiritual leader over another. This continues to produce division and contention in the church, Many attach themselves to preachers with the message of Christ when we should each attach ourselves to Christ and the reality of our personal relationship with Him. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-7 read, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. The point of Paul's question in verse 5 is to get their attention and to help the saints at Corinth see the foolishness of these factions. And then he goes on to explain why their boasting in factions were improper. Paul asked, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom... Ye believe. The word ministers refers to one who is a servant. Paul says that he and Apollos were only servants of Christ, who were each serving in their own way under the Lord's direction and calling, even as the Lord gave to every man, as he says. Paul and Apollos were servants, not leaders of competing parties or groups. Paul and Apollos were not the ones they believed in for salvation. They were men that God used to bring the truth to them that they might believe in Christ and in the gospel of His grace. The term ministers was used for those who served tables in Acts 6 or were table waiters. Paul wanted them to readjust the way they thought about himself and Apollos. And the use of this word to describe him and Apollos They're not the honored guests at the table. They're not at the head of the table. They're not the owner of the house. They're not the makers of the food for the table. They were the table waiters. They were the ones we find at restaurants who come up to us and say, Hello, my name is John. I'll be serving you tonight. Would you like to start with something to drink? Paul was saying that Apollos and I or they were just servant waiters whom the Lord used and sent to bring them spiritual food from the Word. Preachers and teachers of the Word are ministers or servants to bring people to Christ, to establish them in the faith, and it is unwise to raise servants to the rank of master. While we should esteem pastors, teachers, and spiritual leaders very highly in love for their work's sake, our devotion belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we follow a mortal man, we are headed for disappointment. But we will never be disappointed when we keep our eyes on Christ. On the other side of the coin, sin, selfishness, and pride can lead some pastors and teachers to desire a following and set themselves up as the only authority on the Scriptures. Each of us should watch for this kind of attitude among spiritual leaders. The true shepherd of God is someone who points people not to himself, but to the Lord, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Godly leaders desire God's people to follow Christ and to follow his word, and to follow sound doctrine. Paul wrote that I have planted, as Paul planted their church. He was the one who had trailblazed and opened up new territory. He brought the gospel to them in Corinth. They had believed. He had established their church and established them in the faith. Then Paul added, Apollos water." Apollos came along after Paul had left Corinth. And he ministered the word to them. He preached and he built up the saints in God's grace. And he watered the truth that Paul had taught them. Like planting a seed, Paul says, I planted it. Apollos came along after me and he watered that seed. But neither of them could give that seed life and make it grow. Only God can do that. Only God can make it grow and give the seed life. God alone gives the increase. Some years ago, a study was done by an agricultural school in Iowa. It reported that production of 100 bushels of corn from from one acre of land required 4 million pounds of water, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and other elements too numerous to list. In addition to these ingredients, rain and sunshine are required at the right times. Although many hours of the farmer's hard labor are needed, it was estimated that only 5% of the produce of a farm could be attributed to the efforts of man. And so it is in the spiritual realm. God gives the increase. He gives life to our labor. God causes the growth and He produces the fruit. God worked through Paul and Apollos and He used their labor. He gave the increase to their labor. He gave life to it. And He produced the fruit that came from their service and thus God deserved all the glory. And Paul is pointing the Corinthians here toward the God of the increase because it is He, who would bring the spiritual growth that they needed in their own personal lives, to bring them out of their carnality, out of their immaturity, into greater spiritual maturity in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, "...therefore let no man glory in men." And then in verse 7, Paul points out why we should never glory in a man in the ministry. He teaches that the servant who plants the seeds of the gospel and God's truth is nothing. Likewise, the servant who waters the seeds of the gospel and God's truth is likewise nothing. Paul's point is explained well by one commentator who wrote, "...what was the use of fighting which of two nothings was the greater?" Like no man, no farmer, no horticulturist can give physical life or growth to a plant. No man, no preacher, no teacher has the power to bring forth spiritual life or growth. Only God can do that. All farmers can do is provide the right environment for growth and trust in the miracle of life that comes from God. The most that men can do is prepare the soil, plant the seeds, water it, and then God is the God of the increase. And likewise, in the ministry, He is the one who brings the life and the fruit to our labors and our planting and watering for Him, and He deserves all the praise. The person whom God uses to plant the seeds and water them in the ministry is not anything. They are just servants and instruments in the hand of God doing His work. Thus, in the church, instead of being divided over, I like that leader, or this leader over here is more wonderful. We are called to be one in our desire to follow the Lord and to give the God of the increase the honor and glory that He rightly deserves.
0: write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.